You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Morning, church. If you would open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3, that would be a great encouragement to me, and I think a greater encouragement to the Holy Spirit, because this is how He speaks to us through the Word of God. Malachi chapter 3. As we do that, I want to summarize where we've been in Malachi thus far in this series. I want to remind you, at the end of the day, the book of Malachi is a call from the heart of God. Listen, it's a call from the heart of God for the heart of His people. Really summarizing the book of Malachi in one sentence. He calls out, return to me, why He wants the heart of His people. So let's just kind of recap where we've been. And Message number one, God is calling for the love of his people. He says, I have loved you, he says. And therefore, in return, he wants the love of his people back to him. And message number two, God calls for the honor from his people, that they might fear the Lord because he is the only one worthy of this. True love results in honor and fear and reverence before God. In message number three, God calls for purity of worship from his people. Remember that? He's like, leftovers are not okay. God does not deserve our third, fourth, fifth, whatever. Not our worst. God deserves our best. And again, rightly so, there's no one else worthy of our praise. And that's number four, God calls for faithfulness and fidelity from his people in the context of the covenant of marriage. God says, I instituted this beautiful covenant between a man and a woman in marriage. And he's calling for the fidelity of the honor of him and to hold it up as high as he does. And so faithfulness to one another in the beauty, sanctity, the blessing found within marriage. Again, because when he has our heart, this is what happens as well. Message number five, God calling for the longing and faith of his people, that he is the God of justice. He's the one who will bring justice, that in our hopes or our fears and the pressures of this life, God is the one at the end of the day, he's going to return and make all wrongs right. And he's asking for the hearts of his people to trust him, to lean on him, to love him in this way. So just think about the whole book so far in one way or another, God's like, I want your heart. I get your heart, I have you. He's calling for, again, the affection, the devotion, the totality of our lives to return to him. And then today's passage in Malachi 3, verses 6 to 12, we find our theme verse in this passage in verse 7, where specifically God says, and wonderfully, he says, return to me, and I will return to you. So today the Lord goes again for the heart of his people, and in some ways, it's a surprising method that he chooses, but in some ways, it's no surprise at all. God says, I'm calling for your heart again, and this is how he primarily goes for the heart of his people as he's building this wonderful system of approach and theology and and, and calling out for his people. Today, he does this. He says, return to me how? He goes for the people and their resources. He calls for the people and their money. He calls for the people and their generosity to him and to the giving of his work. Now, isn't that fascinating? As the Lord longs for our heart, he now addresses the subject of money, giving, and generosity. You step back for a second. You say, why why would God do this? I mean, he owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as the Bible says. He needs nothing Oh, but he who wrote the Bible himself would definitely highlight and hold up what his son Jesus Christ said. And here's really the truth. And the new covenant underlines this whole message today. For where your treasure is, there will be your hearts also. And this is what the Lord knows. If he's really going to have our hearts, then we must find him as our treasure. Because if you want to find your heart, find your treasure. You want to find your treasure, your heart will be with it. So this becomes not really a message about money giving or generosity. More importantly than that, it's a message from God for the heart of his people. Why? Because often, and especially in our day today, in society we live in, and in the church itself, one of the greatest hindrances to all-out devotion to the Lord and his kingdom is the love of money and the lure 
of materialism and greed and self-indulgence rooted in earthly treasures. I'm telling you right now, by the word of God itself, possibly the greatest reason people do not give a full-out devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ is they simply love stuff as much or more than him. And you cannot serve both God and money. I've said it before and I'll say it again. In Revelation 18, it's describing the system of Babylon that is being judged ultimately with the return of Christ to start the eternal state or begin the millennium. Think about this. At the very end of the Bible, the two sins that explain the city of Babylon, which we believe is symbolic of the the society of evil and the world that we live in, the two sins that are mentioned as the primary cause for Jesus Christ to come to judge those who are living in it. One, sexual immorality. Two, luxurious living. The two sins that summarize the system of the world in rejection of Jesus Christ are, you can look it up, man, Revelation 18, sexual immorality and luxurious living. So of course this theme shows up in Malachi then because if God wants our heart, he knows where he has to go. He cannot avoid it because one of the critical areas of our lives is to have generous hearts of giving. Why? To prove we understand where true value lies. The person who does not give to the kingdom of God does not understand what this world's really about. The person who's not generous is proving they don't understand the theology of the word of God. That they don't get that there's treasures in heaven that will last forever and treasures on earth that will not. It's why God does what he does today. I'm excited for messages like this. Not because they're about giving, because they're about the heart and because of how much God cares about this. Here's what John Calvin said. He said it so well. He said this. This is so important. Where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. First opportunity to do a little heart exam for yourself right now. Because it's about the heart today. This is what it's about. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where riches hold the dominion of the heart. It's, it's all about this. Then God has lost his authority. Malachi 3 verse 6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Notice, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Notice his answer. Will man rob God? Sermon title. Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? Here it is. In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, pour down you a blessing till there's no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 12. Then all nations will call you blessed. Why? For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Within this powerful passage today, we see three statements that God says directly to his people. Three statements, and we're going to build our message around these three statements. Three statements that when lived out, they will equal changed lives. I'm going to give them to you all right now, and then we're going to unpack them as we go. The three statements God says from this text, notice they all involve, again, him and the word me in them. He says this. He says, return to me. He says, do not rob me. And thirdly, he says, test me. Return to me, do not rob me. And then finally, he says, test me. And we say back to God, then yes, Lord, change me. So let's start with the first statement then. Point number one then of our text and outline, God says this, he says, return to me. We'll call this, he's looking for a soft heart. Return to me, soft hearts. Again, verse 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes, have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Two things we see in verses 6 and 7 here. First, we see the character of God, and we see the heart of God. Notice in verse 6, he says, I, the Lord, do not change. 
Theologically, um, this is called the immutability of God. God is immutable. It means he is unchanging. He does not change. And notice the result of the fact that God does not change, that he's immutable in verse 6. Therefore, because I do not change, therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. God will stick with his promises. God is true to his word. Because he is true to his word, because God is true to his character, his people, therefore, are not consumed. Now, the reality that our God does not change, we must take immense comfort in this truth. Think about this. Because God is immutable, because he does not change, God never changes for the better because you can't improve upon perfection. God never changes for the worse for the same reason as he, you cannot improve upon perfection. So just think about this for a second then. God says, I do not change. So just step back just for a second from approaching Jesus as our vending machine where we want him to become our genie and say, gimme, 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 right? Which we fall into. Just step back for a moment of God, make my life better and change all my surroundings. And would you just make me, just for a second, just step back from that and just allow your gaze to go from down to up. And just consider the unchanging attributes of our God and take a moment to consider that God is unchanging in his sovereignty. He is ruling the universe with his feet up. God is unchanging in wisdom, in holiness, in power, in self-existence, in self-sufficiency. God is unchanging in justice. There's nothing he's not in charge of. There's nothing he cannot do. There's nothing he will not do to make things right. Take a moment, loved ones, to worship him. To worship him just for a moment. Again, eyes off of ourselves and up to the Lord. Worship him that he is perfect. Like perfect. He never, ever tires. Ever. Amazing. You and I get so tired every day, don't we? We're so tired. I need to sleep. I'm just so exhausted. I'm so weird. God never, ever says that. Ever. Love him. Love him. He never weakens. Never weakens. Never. This past week, I put my back out. Oh, man. You know, just getting old. Just getting old. It never happens to God. He's indestructible. He's undefeated. Again, he's immutable. He's perfect. There's never a moment where he's down for the count. He never loses a round ever. Listen, he never has a bad day. Praise the Lord. I mean, truly praise the Lord. You and I, so grumpy, have such bad days. One day we're good. One next day we're angry. One day we're here. Next day we're so miserable about stuff. We're so up and down based on our, God's never like that ever, ever, ever. There's never a time he doesn't show up. Never a time again he's in a bad mood. Never a moment in his entire existence where he is at a loss. Because he is a God who does not change and he is absolutely perfect in every single way. Awesome, awesome. Just, just, just take a moment. Look, I'm worship him. Just like, there is none like you. It's so healthy. You are, you are truly worthy to be praised. Perfect, holy, and awesome God. And you know, our passage today talks about, I Lord, do not change. Its context is dealing directly with these attributes, though, of our Lord. All those things are true, what I just said, of course. But specifically, God is unchanging now. We learn this in our context. Unchanging in love. Unchanging in grace. Unchanging in mercy. What's being emphasized here in verses 6 and 7, God says, I do not change. Great is my faithfulness. I am unchanging in my faithfulness. Therefore, children of Israel, you are not consumed. This is an important doctrinal moment for us with application too, because think about this. Often we will say God has been faithful. God has been faithful. And what we mean by that sometimes is God has been faithful in my health because he brought me through a situation. God has been faithful because he provided for me financially. God has been faithful because he protected me from harm. God has been faithful because he worked out that circumstance at work that was really hard. But don't you see as we're doing that, what we're really saying is, God, you are faithful on my terms. You are faithful because you acted the way I wanted you to act. Let me ask you, what if the health thing doesn't work out? Is he not faithful then? What if the home thing doesn't work out? Is he not faithful? What if the finances don't come in the way we think they are? Is he not faithful all of a sudden? What if the work situation gets worse? Is God not faithful? Of course he's faithful because he can only be anything but faithful. 
See what's so important here? So often what we do is we look at this world as all there is, and we base situations on how we're living and what we expect. It doesn't go the way we want. All of a sudden, God, you let me down. That's impossible. He cannot let you down. We just sang that song. He cannot let you down. Not one person will arrive in heaven in glory and stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory. Not one person will accuse him of being, you were unfaithful to me. There's so much we don't understand. There's so much we cannot see. There's so much that doesn't make sense. At the end of the day, God can only be faithful because he is unchanging. Again, to arrive on that day before the Lord in his glory, to see his splendor, to be before his infinite wisdom, to know you are standing before the one who is sovereign over the entire universe and everything in it, to feel the thunder and the glory of his omnipotence and, and his omniscience, the glory and faithfulness. In that moment, you and I will be melted into a sobbing worshiper of extreme joy and, and, and gushing gladness. That day is going to be awesome. And we're going to see right there that he is only one thing. He is faithful. I'm encouraging you more and more. We have, to, we have to cease to live as though the way we see what's happening is the way that we interpret then God. No, 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 no. It's backwards, man. He's the one who interprets everything. And we know from a fact and truth that there's nothing he can't do and everything he does is ultimately good, and one day it will all make sense. This is the character of God. This is what we're seeing within our passage right here. But then we also see his heart. Again, look at verse 7. He says, From the days your fathers have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Then he says, "Return." Here's his heart. Okay, listen to his heart. Return to me. This is amazing. This is, again, the God of all glory, all holiness, all sovereignty. He says, Return to me. Return to me, and I will return to you. So, because the Lord does not change, he does not stop calling for the heart of his people. I love this. The perfect, awesome, infinite, unchanging God. Ready? It's calling for our hearts. I mean, take this personally right now. He's calling for your heart. Just, just right now, personally, he's calling for your heart. Unchanging love, unchanging grace, unchanging mercy, resulting in return to me, my child, and I will return to you. And I wonder who's here right now. There's some for sure. You've been running from the Lord. You have been shunning the Lord. You have been rejecting God. You have spit in the face of Jesus Christ by your actions and your sin as I did in my life once as well. But the Lord looks down upon you in his grace and unchanging mercy and love and he looks at you as his child and says... Won't you return to me? And I will return. I mean, honestly, who's running? Who's here right now? This is for you, this moment. And the love of the Lord Jesus Christ would overwhelm you, and you can no longer resist. Tell me, how hard-hearted do we have to be to continue to despise and reject the unchanging grace and mercy of a God to forgive us of all our sins for everything we have done and nothing, nothing that we deserve? And then he calls out again and again, you're here right now. And again, you hear the voice of God in love. Return to me, my child. Return to me. And I will return to you. Think of how patient and long-suffering our God is. See who he's looking for? Soft hearts. Won't you soften your heart that you might be loved? Won't you let yourself be loved by God Almighty? So God's first statement in this text, he's like, return to me. He's looking for soft hearts. And now notice where he goes, point two. He says, do not rob me, generous hearts. So now he's looking for the heart of generosity. And he says it here. He says, do not rob me. Again, look at verse seven now, the second half. Uh, they, the people respond, but you say, how shall we return? Notice, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Okay, so here's what I need all of us to see right here, okay? Notice what's happening in the theology of God's heart for ours. The Lord says, return to me. God says, my people, I want you to return to me. So in other words, he's saying, I want your hearts. Now, do not miss how he wants them to return. Return to me, I want your hearts. How? Stop robbing me. The way you return to me, people, is you stop robbing me. 
The way you return to me is by giving generously to my work. The way you return to me is specifically here, bring the tithe. Fascinating. Return to me. How? Stop robbing me. Give generously. Bring the tithe. Again, amazing. God owns everything. He made everything. He doesn't need anything. So why does he focus on the resources of the people? Why does he say, will man rob God? Because at the heart of this passage, the heart of his people is sick. How is the heart of his people sick? With greed, materialism, and self-indulgence. Again, Jesus says it's best. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Notice that when God accuses his people of robbing him, ready? That means the people have taken something that belongs to God. Pause. Think about that. You have robbed me. So something that God owns or belongs to God, has been stolen from his people that rightly belongs to the Lord. Specifically in our context, what is that? The tithes and contributions. The word tithe means a tenth. It's referred to that tenth of the people's produce and income that was commanded and therefore owed to God. The tenth was paid to the Levites. And from this tenth... A tenth was paid to the ministering priests. The instructions for this were found in Leviticus 27 and Numbers 18. So notice, this was God's command on his people to provide and care for the work of him in their midst. I want you to see here, notice how much God cares about this. I mean, he's specifically saying right here, you need to give generously, otherwise I don't have your heart. And I want your heart, because I have your heart, I have your everything. If I don't have the treasure in your life, I don't have you. I don't have you. We're not going very far. This is what the people were not doing. They were not giving. They were stingy. They were selfish. They were worldly, proving their theology was messed up. Again, notice how personally God takes this. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. Not robbing the Levites, not robbing the priests. You are robbing me, he says. You are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So question, do you think your giving matters to God? Ah, uh, yes. Why? Because it's the great indicator of the heart. And because the Lord knows this, he hammers this truth over and over and over again because he wants our hearts. Just this week I was talking to a friend and we weren't talking about this, but he just mentioned, he says, you know, the Bible would be a lot thinner if God didn't only said things once. But because God knows we need to hear things over and over again, he repeats things that we could suggest are most important to his heart for our heart. Again, look at this quote here by Howard Dayton. He says this, Jesus talked much about money. 16 of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. I mean, that in itself, wow. 16 of 38 parables. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of 10 verses, 280 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Wow! So God's got one book he's written, and he gives it to us, and the emphasis is on where the heart is in terms of money and possessions and earthly treasures and pointing us to heavenly treasures for the kingdom of God. So I think all of us would agree right now God's pretty smart. So if he takes all this room up in his one book on this topic, it tells you something first about the human heart, and it also tells you something about God's heart for our heart. He's like, why have you robbed me? I want your heart. And the heart is proven often through giving. Now the question that often gets asked in Malachi 3, and it's the right question to ask, is, well, okay, so the tithes and contributions, so we're New Testament, we're New Covenant, should we tithe too then? Is the command in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, does that apply under the New Covenant and the New Testament? You know what's funny about that question? When I've been in ministry now again for 15 years or so, it's, it's, it's amusing to me that when this question is asked, it's almost always asked from the preface of, now, do we have to tithe? But I don't think it's ever, not ever, but, Rarely ever is it asked, do we have to tithe? Because I'm going to give more. 
I want to give more than that. Often it's asked by someone, do we have to tithe? Because they're hoping, like, tell me I can give less. Tell me I can give less. And that just shows you the reality and the sadness of where our hearts are often at. Pastor, find me a way to give less to God. Rarely is it, can I give more than that? And this is, this is part of the problem, isn't it? Our answer is clear, though. Okay? The Old Testament clearly presents a 10% tithe as the standards for God's people. The New Testament is not as clear, or the commands are less prominent in terms of a percentage of giving. So the question really becomes this. Do you think in the New Testament and under the New Covenant is the expectation to give less or more than the Old Testament? It's really the question that we have to ask ourselves. Let's answer it this way. As New Covenant believers, have we received more or less of God's grace and revelation and truth? Are we more debtors to God's grace or less? I heard it said this way too. Did Jesus tithe his life and blood for us? Or did he give us his all? So we believe here that the answer overall is very clear. We think the starting point, the starting principle, principle for giving biblically is 10%. That's a great starting. But let me say this, I want to be very clear. It's a principle gathered from the Old Testament. You cannot put it as law in the new. You cannot legitimately take this Bible and pin someone down and say, unless you're giving 10%, you're sinning. You can't do that. That's not, that's not with integrity with God's word. You can't hold someone down and put a percentage on their forehead and say, unless you're doing that again, then you are sinning against God. That's not fair. That's not biblical. That's not right. But there's principles of generosity the principles of stewardship, the principles of sacrifice. So if you look at the New Testament, you see the examples of giving in the New Testament. The actual examples of giving are way beyond 10%. They're examples of extreme generosity. There's the principles, too, of this. How do I know if I'm giving generously? Well, is my giving sacrificial? We should give to the kingdom of God, which is all about the reality of uh, eternal treasures in heaven, to the point where it hurts. Right? So what does that mean? Well, if we're giving out of our abundance, that doesn't cost us anything. It's just out of leftovers, whatever it is. That's just anyone can do that. That doesn't cost us anything. We should be giving to the point, I could do this, but instead I'm giving to the work of the Lord because I value it so much in that way. Does your giving hurt? I think biblically it's got to hurt on some level. Of course, is you're giving generous. Is there a, a, an evidence of generosity coming from how we give and support the work of God across this world? Is your giving cheerful? That's very important too. It's very important to the Lord. Why? Because it's the heart. Because you love the gospel because you love Jesus, it's not like, fine, I'll do it, and you're so like grumpy and angry about it. It's like, no, 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 this is what life is really about. And so you give cheerfully. Okay, so I, I read this passage in my God time yesterday, yesterday morning, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. I gotta bring this to the people this weekend. So I brought it in, and this is the story of Cornelius, and the angel shows up to Cornelius, he's about to go find Peter for the first time and see the Gentiles are being reached too, okay? But notice when the angel finds Cornelius. It says that Cornelius was a devout man, a worshiper of God or feared the Lord, and he was praying and giving alms, okay? Here's what the angel says of why Cornelius was heard and what made him stand out among other people. And the angel said to him, your prayers and your alms, alms, um, giving, giving to the poor, the support of the work of God, again, around him, your prayers and your alms, this is awesome, have ascended as a memorial before God. Just being said right here, there's Cornelius going around and trying to be faithful to the Lord and the best he knows how. He is giving of his life in generosity. He is praying and both of these things act as they are ascending up to God. I just love the, I love the language here. It's rising up in the nostrils of God or in the eyes of God as a memorial, as an offering, and it reaches the Lord. And the Lord's like, there's someone I can work with. Let's go to him. When you and I are giving, 
in the offering bag or offering plate, whatever, when we're giving an offering to the Lord, you gotta understand, in some way, this is, this is ascending to the Lord as a memorial before him, as an offering of praise. Don't you see, it's worship. So much more than dropping a couple of coins in and moving on. In some form, in some way, it's rising up to the Lord himself. And he's like, oh, that is sweet. Look at how my people are valuing the kingdom of the Lord and how they are giving to the work, the work of my son and demonstrating the fragrance and the reality of their heart, right? Jim Elliott, he said, he said this. He said, I love this quote. We used it lots of times. Before. Let's hear it again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, that, 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 that's a kingdom mentality right here. An earthly mentality flips that. I want to keep everything for myself and give nothing because I really don't understand what's going on, but I just want to make it for, my, for myself. So, loved ones, let us be wise. Let us be wise. You know what the Lord's doing today? He's doing this. He's going out of his way to show you his heart for the generous heart. Why? Because your treasure ultimately equals your heart. Here's the bottom line right now. Would God look at you right now would he look at us? Would he look at you right now? And would he say, based on how we're giving, would he say to you from the text today, you are robbing me? Would he look down upon your life and your giving right now? And would he say, you're actually robbing me? What I've entrusted to you, my child, it's all mine. I have allowed you to be a steward of this, and it's to be stewarded for the kingdom of the Lord. You are robbing me. Now, he says it with conviction, but he says it with grace and love. But I think he says it, right? Because he's like, are you living for the world or are you living for me, he says. Are you kingdom of self? Are you kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I have your heart, he asks, or not so much? Because where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Again, you cannot serve both God and money. Are you serving money or are you serving God? It's one or the other. It's not both. See why this message is so critical today? It's getting to so much of the core of where the church needs to be to see the gospel advance across this world. You know, and on that note too, um, as elders... We want you to know that we are thinking a lot about our culture, our spiritual climate, and we're also thinking a lot and praying a lot about the opportunity that is before us. We think that God has uniquely placed us in a situation of unusual opportunity and urgency and expectancy. You know, we're looking at our situation as a church right now, and we're considering the reality of the opposition that is before us, the opposition that is ahead of us, just seeming where everything seems to be going, whether it's, again, in society and culture, government, and the opposition seems to be growing and pretty clear. But I, in the Bible, reading through Acts right now too, it's always where there's opposition, there's opportunity, always. In the midst of the most difficult times, the opportunity to be used of the Lord. It's amazing how that goes. So as elders, we're really praying about this. And one of the things that we started to think and pray about is this, is we started to think and pray about if we are called by God to seek to eliminate the debt of our church the debt from building this building. There's no crisis, God has been very faithful, it's a sound situation. But what would happen if God led us to say, we're going to call upon ourselves and the people to seek to get rid of the dead in this building for a number of reasons? Let me listen for you. Well, due to the uncertainty of times. Uh, who knows what's going to happen five years from now? Charitable status, the reality again of what's happening. You stand for what we stand for based on God's word right now, and you'd hold this theology, and you put it in the face of culture, and trust me, that's not making us have favor with the people and with the society we live in. And yet we must obey God, not men. We don't know what's going to happen. Things are happening so fast. What about the incredible opportunity we have without debt? Again, freeing up resources to help other churches like Harvest Braille and Romania. Do you understand how we're being used in that situation? That they have a church. That church building is going to impact Braille. It's going to impact Romania. It's going to impact countries surrounding them in Romania because they have the opportunity to impact and plant churches crossing their borders and building up the church of Jesus Christ. And we have had a massive privilege and opportunity to be a part of that because of the generosity of God's people. What if we could times that by? Two, four, six, ten. 
something to consider. And just the opportunity to be a force for the kingdom of God with our church plants, helping them secure things. To, these are all things we're thinking and praying about. We believe God has positioned us uniquely, possibly for such a time as this. So as elders, where there's, there's no official plans right now at all, we're praying and thinking. Maybe you would join us in praying and thinking too what the Lord might have us do with this incredible opportunity of stewardship as a church at this time in this place in this way. We'll see. Let's pray about it. Jesus, Jesus wants our hearts. God says here in this passage, he says, return to me, soft heart. He says, do not rob me, generous heart. And thirdly, he says this, test me, blessed heart. Test me that you might have a blessed heart. Verse 10, okay, so notice here he says, put me to the test. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Notice, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, pour down for you a blessing till there's no more need, I will rebuke the devourer. The, de- the devourer is probably some type of insect, locust, something eating at their crops. He's like, I will rebuke it because he's sovereign so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in your field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. All nations shall call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. As it has been said, this is amazing in verse 10, this is the only place in Scripture that God says, test me. The only place, and it's in terms, in the context of generous giving. really is remarkable, you know. Going back to his character of faithfulness, God looks at us today and he says, test me and see what happens. Do you realize what God is saying to all of us right now? God looks us in the eyes, every single one of us, and he says this to you and me. He says, I dare you, try and outgive me. He is, right in this text today. He's looking at you and me, and he's looking us right in the eyes. He says, I dare you to try and outgive me. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned the marriage sermon that the first year of our marriage for Jill and I was one of our most difficult. You know, I was thinking about that, and one of the reasons it was, because I just admit to you, I think this is one of the years that we were being unfaithful in our giving to the Lord, or at least lacking faith. I mean, we gave some for sure, but... I found that in the first year of marriage when we had so little, like just scraping by. But we were always trying to find reasons and rationalizing of how to get away with giving little. And I'm telling you, the problems it created, the conflict, the lack of peace, the stress, the uncertainty, the relational strife, and eventually the rebuke that came as teaching like this entered into our lives and totally convicted us and we began to fight for faith. As the Lord said to me, Robbie, at the end of the day, this is an issue of the heart. Do you trust me or do you trust yourself? I, the Lord, do not change. I'm the keeper of all things. I own the cattle. Do Do you not think I can care for you and Jill in this situation of your life? And I remember then we were resolved. We were resolved to make a change. And we had opportunity to give. And I remember writing checks in the amount that for us were insane. Like it was insane to think that we'd be starting to give certain amounts. And I remember as the offering plate went by and holding the check in my hand, it was one of these. It was like, you know, like you're kind of like, and you're like, no, no, no. You know, really, I mean, it really, giving is so fascinating because it's the one place in scripture God says, test me. So it's the one tangible, most obvious way we can say, okay, God, let's see if you're true to your word. And he tells us to do it. That's the best part. And then so shaking and put it in. And at that moment, our life changed. I started keeping a journal of the provision of God that ended up being nothing short of miraculous. And I'm telling you, I have those journals today. And you look upon the faithfulness. And what, what happens to your faith? Gross. What happens to your joy? Look around it. This is amazing. Look at what God, the most incredible circumstances, the most unforeseen ways. We would never be the same again and we have never looked back. Every year, trying to give a little bit more. Without question, in our passage, in our context today, the, the Lord is promising blessing, okay? I want you to see this. I want you to look at verses 10 and 12 because the Lord is guaranteeing to his people, as you give to me, I will bless you, Okay? So he says, put me to the test. See if I won't open out the windows of heaven, pour down for you a blessing till there's no more need. I will rebuke the devourer. The fruits of your soil, they shall bear great fruit. The nations will call you blessed and you will be 
a delight, okay? So you can break down God's promises in Malachi 3, 10 to 12. This is principles, loved ones, we're taking, okay? Principles now from the Old Testament into our new covenant place, okay? Principles of this. God promises for the generous heart. He promises provision. He promises protection, This is what God's promising to us right now. And we're going to hold this up in the New Testament in just a few moments, okay? Notice this principle from this text too. The more the Israelites robbed God, the more they robbed themselves. Make sure you understand that because that's your principle too. Ready? You cannot win by giving less. You will not win by holding back from giving to the king. You think you're winning, You think you're accumulating. You think you're building self-indulgence. You're not winning. I promise you by the very word of God today, this is where wisdom comes in. You are not winning. You might have a nicer car and you might have a bigger house and you might have more debt and you might have all this stuff and better vacations. You're not winning. You're losing. Why? God says so. The more we rob God, the more we rob ourselves. Oh, God, help us to see. So right now, this is a critical moment. Oh, oh, hear that? It's the door. It's wisdom. He wants to talk to you. So wisdom shows up right now, and he says, listen, child of God, don't miss this. Don't miss this. The more generous we are, the more we win. It's a spiritual principle that will not be thwarted, that cannot be denied. It's the principle of reaping and sowing. You're not the only exception. Wisdom's begging you, don't you see? Are you living for the kingdom or living for self? Is God smarter than you or not? Are the ways of God right or are they wrong? Will you not bow the knee again in your life and understand that the Lord Jesus Christ means what he says, you cannot serve both God and money? Oh, the phone's ringing. It's wisdom. He says, I'm not sure you heard me. Hear it again, right? He says, you gotta hear this. It's one of the massive principles of the Christian life because where your treasure is, that your heart will be also. And God promises us today. He says, listen, I promise to bless you as you give. Now, let me be very clear right now. I wholeheartedly reject and personally despise the prosperity gospel. Okay? I hate it. The prosperity gospel is a false teaching. It is a false gospel. It is ruining lives and totally built in self-consuming, self-indulgence greed. What the Bible does teach is this, that the generous heart will be the blessed heart. You say, how? How are we blessed as we give? Fundamentally, the answer is, as God decides. But blessing will come. Let's go New Testament now to help us out. One of the best texts of this is 2 Corinthians 9, okay? This this whole context is explicitly in the context of giving financially, Notice what Paul says here, okay? Huge, hugely important. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Time out. God's not fooling around when he says this. This is a spiritual law. This is a principle that will always prove true. You sow sparingly, you are blessed sparingly. No exceptions, no exceptions. In this whole room right now, just telling you what God says. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully in the context of financial giving. Each one, this is more, each one must give as his heart has decided in his heart. Oh, there it is again. Not reluctantly, not because you feel guilty or condemned. No, no, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See what he says here? The whole premise is, though, when I understand the gospel, when I want to see the kingdom of God advance, when I live for what is in Jesus Christ, well, then this starts to happen. But loved ones, understand, some of you are suffering unnecessarily because you are sowing sparingly. God, te- test me, test me, test me and see if you will not reap bountifully. You're like, well, how do we reap bountifully? Again, this happens in many different ways. God promises to provide for us physically what we need. He doesn't promise to make us unnecessarily wealthy. Go to the next slide here. Here's what he promises. 
and God is able to make all grace abound to you. Okay, so here we go. If I sow bountifully, all grace will abound, overflow to me. What's God's grace? God's provision in so many different ways. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Wow, so my giving generously makes all grace to abound, that at all sufficiency, all things at all times, I'm abounding in every good work. So how I give impacts my heart, impacts my life, impacts my ministry. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So grace abounds as we give generously. Next slide. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. See what happens here? When you, here's a promise right now, ready, ready? When you give to the work of the kingdom of God, God's like, I'll multiply that seed, I'll multiply your giving that you might what? Not hoard for self, but give more. You see that? This is just what the Bible's saying today. We take it as God's word. When we give generously, more comes in. Those who can be entrusted to give more to the kingdom of God. So you're harvesting supply for God's kingdom over and over again. And notice this. He promises this. The increase of your righteousness. Grace abounds. Righteousness increases Whatever this ultimately means, it's a good thing. We are increasing in the righteousness of being used of God. Notice, you will be enriched in every way. How will I be enriched? When I give generously. I mean, this is just really good stuff. To be generous in every way, which through us will produce, notice, thanksgiving. So joy, gratitude. So when we give generously, God says, I promise to bless you. I promise to provide for you. I promise to multiply your seed. I promise for grace to abound to you. I promise that righteousness will increase in some way. I promise that you will know thanksgiving and people will be thankful for you. This is what God promises to bless in our lives. All those things as God does it will result in extreme blessing, joy, gratitude, peace. It'll just be this incredible. Listen, all that says, but are you giving generously? The failure to give generously, in some way you remove all those things. just teaching you God's word. So no wonder the Lord says, return to me. How? Be generous. Why? So, so I will bless you. Now remember, the motivation for giving is not religious, formulaic duty. The motivation is love. We give to the Lord because we are wise. I read this recently. A moving truck full of possessions never follows a hearse. Some of you just got that, okay? <laughs> so here's an amazing truth for many here today. Ready? This is, this, is, this is encouraging for me. The quickest way that many of us return to the Lord today, the quickest way we return to the Lord is through a generous heart of giving to the work of God. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is. So God says, I want your heart. I gotta have your wallet too. Because that's what God wants. He wants your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The quickest way some of us return today is through generous giving. The question is, who do we love more? Do we love more Jesus Christ and his kingdom, or do we love ourselves in accumulating more stuff that we think is going to make us happy? Think about what this all, I end here too, think about what this all comes down to. It's a gospel. It's a gospel issue. In Jesus Christ, through the gospel, Ephesians 1 says that we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. In Jesus Christ, through the gospel, we are promised that we have received an inheritance. Whose inheritance? The inheritance of Jesus Christ. Okay? 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 Time out. Time out. Stop. Stop. This is a theological moment leading to life change application. If we have received in Jesus Christ every spiritual blessing, if we have received the inheritance of Jesus Christ, that one day very soon we will see in all its glory, all the satisfaction of all eternity lavished upon us. Let me ask you this. What else do you need? I mean, what else do you really need? Technically, you and I need nothing else. We've been given everything we could ever want. It's in Jesus Christ. It's his gospel. This is what's been promised to us. So don't you see when the gospel is properly ascertained and understood, when you have been given everything you've ever wanted, all of a sudden giving away is not such a big deal because you already have everything. But when your heart is for the world, you think you want to accumulate because that's somehow going to be, but you already got everything. You have everything. 
I have everything in Jesus Christ. So what happens is, when you realize in the gospel, you have everything, your hands go from clenched onto stuff to open up and being like, I got it all. Take it. And the ability to be generous, because ultimately you understand that you are rooted in the saving grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the world no longer has a hold on you. So loved ones, please listen. And here's maybe one of the most important phrases of this message is this. Ready? Don't be dumb. (laughs) No, really. Don't be dumb. Okay? Don't How many believers will get to the end, stand before Jesus Christ? As the Bible says, we will have to give an account with what God has entrusted to us, the parable of the minas and and elsewhere. We are stewards of what God has given to us, opportunity, resources. Don't get to the end before the Lord and Jesus will say, what did you do with the five minas I gave to you? And you'll be like, in that moment, you'll be like, oh, I blew it. Don't be that person. So many believers will get to the end. God, I gave you 10. What'd you do with 10? You're like, Oh, I know I should have listened to that sermon. Oh, I knew it. I, you, you get to the end and all of a sudden, all oh, that means nothing. Don't be dumb. Be wise. Treasures on earth equal nothing. Treasures in heaven equal everything. I appeal to you on the counsel of God. I appeal to you by the wisdom of God. I appeal to you by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you. We are very, very foolish when we live and prove that we love this world more than Jesus Christ. Don't be dumb. Love Jesus, love his kingdom, and watch the blessing flow. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. So loved ones, enough with the greed, enough with selfishness, enough with self-indulgence. I love to say sometimes in moments like this, looking at the world and all its lies and saying, in your face, world, take that, you demonic system of lies, in your face, flesh, Enough with the self-indulgence. Why? Because Christ is enough. Christ is enough. Let's pray. This is an important moment, Father. I know it. I know it. It's an important moment to say, okay, what do we really believe? Holy Spirit, you are working all over this place right now. You are working on so many different hearts and many different situations. I know the complexities of areas of finances and well, if you knew this, if you knew that, I know. I know that's all there. But Holy Spirit, at the end of the day, this is about the heart. More than it's about the technical aspects of amounts, it's about the heart. And Lord, my desire, my desire for myself, for my wife, for my marriage, my family, for the elders, for the church here, my desire is, Lord, I want a heart for you and for your kingdom more than anything else. Because when you have that, then everything else follows. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God, for many of us right now, we're trying to serve God and money. It doesn't work. You've got to choose, loved ones, today. Who is it? Is it money or God? Which one? You can't do both. It's impossible. You've been trying too long to serve God and money. Make your choice right now. Who's your God? Who's your God? Is it Jesus Christ or is it your bank account? Decide right now. Before the Lord, decide. Who am I really worshiping? This is a massive point too right now to say, am I going to hear this? Because I bet you a lot of us are like, yeah, I agree, I agree. But what do we do from here? Do we change? Do we pray to God? Do we ask him to, do we seek help? Do we start acting in faith? Why? Well, at the end of the day, the gospel is what saves lives for all of eternity. And so we want to give of our hearts, give what God's entrusted to us for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Lord, I, the joy we've known, the satisfaction, the freedom, the blessing, the clear conscience, wow, all these things available to us right now, simply through a heart of giving. And at the end of the day, what we're able to say and sing, Jesus Christ, you are my reward. You are my inheritance. Jesus Christ, you are enough. In Jesus' name, amen.